Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wandering Bear Sports Podcast, the number one sports podcast, probably just the number one podcast now on planet Earth. It's great to be back. Great to see you all. You all look fantastic. Uh, this show, as for every other show on the Wandering Bear Network, is proudly sponsored by Caffeine Gum Australia. Caffeine gum is awesome. If you want to feel good all the time, chew it. It's used by professional athletes all over Australia and all over the world. It's batch tested. Comes in three great flavors. Has 100 milligrams of caffeine per piece. And it's awesome. It's awesome. Highly recommended. Used by a lot of truck drivers as well, tradesmen. People that want a caffeine hit but don't want to have to go and spend $6.50 on a strong arm and cappuccino. So it's highly worth looking into. And if you do look into it, I would really, really appreciate it because it helps support all the things that I do. And check it out at www.caffeinegumaustralia.com. Also, if you are listening on Spotify or Apple, can you please give this podcast a rating, preferably five stars. If you're going to give it one star, don't give it a rating, but please give it a five-star rating. And could you also please follow us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Hinge, Tinder, all the all the different social media channels, LinkedIn. Uh, it's truly appreciated and helps grow this podcast. Okay, let's get to today's guest. So Mr. Chris Deleuze is the new head coach of the Manly Marlins first grade team in the Shoot Shield competition. He's had a very long career as a player and a coach been doing it a long time i got to know chris doing the level four coaching course earlier in the year and i always enjoy talking to him and finds a lot of his opinions and takes on things very enlightening and very smart so this was a really fun conversation i hope you enjoy it as much as i did and without further ado please enjoy this conversation with mr chris deleuze very glad that we finally got to sit down and do this. I've been very excited about it all day. How how I do this is we treat it like a conversation. So you, you and I have had a bunch of conversations over the last little bit of time, which has been great. And most of it's sort of focused on coaching, a little bit on life, and, and we'll see where it goes. But I, I wanted to start with you, something that you said, and it really cut through to me at the Narrabeen camp for you know, people who stupidly decided they wanted to become coaches is you can't pour from an empty cup. And the reason it cut through to me is because I, I don't feel it's something that we talk about enough in the coaching world is the the subject of self-care, looking after your your mental health away from the game. Because as, as I'm sure um, you feel the same as well, you get put under a heap of pressure. There's expectations, all sorts of people giving their opinions. And to be honest, I didn't handle that side of things well last year. And I, I sort of drowned it with booze and eating too many carbohydrates and not exercising. And it's only over a period of time that I've learned for me that I've got to exercise regularly, get to the beach, do healthy things. And then my mental health is a lot better. And therefore, I'm able to help others more. Can we just talk about that a little bit from your end? How important is is self-care for you as a coach and and for your coaching staff in general and life away from the game so that you can give your people more? 
It's so funny, mate. Like we bring this up and you have conversations in the room and sometimes you can say, you can say those things and I genuinely mean it. Um, and it, it, it stems from, I suppose, my background in surf life saving um, and the way that I grew up, you know, it was kind of the analogy I think I used on that day as well is the first person you need to be able to keep safe is yourself before you can save anybody else. So I've used that analogy and there's been times and I've had certainly had uh, learning curves um, when we are talking about mental health and, you know, that psychological safety within whether it's a rugby club or your workplace or whatever your environment may be, how important it is to me and how aware I am of it are two very, very different things. So I'm quite aware of it sometimes in that, you know, I can give that advice and I do some mentorship work. um, However, do I always practice what I preach? I'm guilty of it, just like everybody else. Um, even this week, have, having conversations with my family, with my wife, it's a busy time of year for the coaching. You know, we're coming to the pointy end of preseason. We're getting ready, um, and I'm probably 90-10. You know, I'm 90% all in with with the job, with the work. Um, you know, I want Manly to be successful. I want to be successful myself, and I want to enjoy what I'm doing. However you know, that 10% falls to everything else that I'm doing. It's not just 10% me, it's 10% across my whole family. It's 10% the other way. So completely aware my of where I am. However, what I need to do and how I implement those changes, still knowing that I've got to, one, get your job done and two, get your team to perform. It's a, it is a tricky balance. But yes, mate, I agree with you wholeheartedly. You know, like if I had my way, I'd find time to surf every day, you know, you read all the books. What are my five things that I want to do every day to make me feel better? I get my coffees. You know, I, I you know, I make sure that I go to the same spot. I socialize. I talk to people. You know, I probably talk to my players more than I talk to my family, and I'm probably guilty of that. So um, I am making sure that I come back and I stay connected in all facets of life. So I am definitely aware of it. But mate, I couldn't agree more, mate. You can't uh, you can't help anyone else unless you're in a good place yourself. It's funny, you do slip sometimes and I've got to sort of check myself and go, no, 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 go back to jujitsu. Make sure you go for a swim. Otherwise, it just gets out of hand. First year as a head coach in the Shoot Shield, just about to start, what surprised you about stepping up into the hot seat? How have you found things? Was anything diff- vastly different from what you thought? Just the time I get to spend watching actual rugby. You know, there's a lot more. There's a lot more people management. There's a lot more human element, I suppose, to the head coach role than there is to the assistant. You know, last year, myself and Blakey had a bit of a running joke. It was quite easy, you know. It was like if you had an issue with, you know, your selection or the human side, it was very easy to say I was known as mum. You know, like I gave you the hug and I could do whatever, but I was the tactical or technical in terms of the attack. But it was go speak to dad, you know. So. All the messaging came out. So I got a lot of time, you know, to speak with Blakey and help Blakey in that respect um, in terms of, you know, what are your thoughts here, there and everywhere. But my primary job last year was the the tactical side and I got to watch footy and it was fantastic. You know, like it was just the dream job, you know, waking up and you're living, breathing, literally just the tactical and technical side the whole time. Um, still being, you know, authentic to myself in the coaching style and delivery and everything on those lines. And we'll get to that. But the human element is obviously going to be the greatest challenge, even still going forward, even before all selections start. But, um, mate, at the moment, yeah, it's been finding that nice balance in and around what we're trying to do with the the whole and the entire club at the moment, not necessarily even just the seniors squad, but it's the whole club. It's um, exciting times at Manly, and I'm really enjoying it. it. It's a funny thing, isn't it? I think 
I think we fall in love with the the technical and tactical side of the game. I certainly, I certainly am loving being a forwards coach. Like last year, I was a second grade head coach, and just being a forwards coach and only having to worry about scrums, line out, moors. I I love it. How? Because you you've got a bit of a background in sports psych. Is is that right? Um, studied it. So I did a did a master's in um, sports performance. Um, and when I did my thesis, that was in uh, hope, optimism and resilience, um, but studied in and around, obviously, the, the psychology element. I certainly went down that route to the, the second half. So once we did all the, the anatomy and physiology and obviously everything, you know, the on the scientific side of things, um, when I went into working with my major, I worked with Ty McIntyre, um, great guy over in Ireland who was also working with Munster Rugby at the time um, as well. And obviously having played with them, we developed a pretty strong relationship. But uh, yeah, the power of the mind, mate, was uh, something that's always intrigued me. And, you know, coming out of a, an athletic background myself, it was, you know, was almost trying to find out where I almost went wrong yeah. um, all, the, all those years ago. But um, I certainly... You know, as a coach, um, not knowing that I was even going into this this kind of role um, at the time, but as someone who was kind of always had connection with people, it was something that I just found really fascinating, and that was the area of study that I decided to do. But yeah, fascinated with the mind, mate. How how applicable has that been, or transferable, I should say, into your job now? Ah, oh, everything. Yeah, everything, everything, mate. He was, and he was so well connected himself, and. You know, to hear stories, uh, we had the, you know, the lead American psychologist of the Paralympic team come in and, you know, work with us for a week. Um, it's just, it just even in terms of organisation and planning and everything that goes into an event such as the Olympics, um, it was incredible. It was an incredible time um, of learning. It, it was a busy time in my life. There was a lot going on at that in that in that time. I was, you know, I had two kids under the age of uh, under the age of one, so we had two kids in the one year. Um, so Bloody this was hell. all happening at the same time as being a director of, yeah, a director of rugby. I was running my own business and I was also doing, um, GAA, believe it or not for Claire football. So I was running the high performance side to that. So there's been, there were many times, mate, head in hand, I was figuring out what am I doing with myself at the moment? You know, I was putting the candle at every end. Um, I know there's only two, but it seemed like there was more. Um, but it was one of those things where I think it shaped, my coaching, it's certainly when I look back at it and, you know, and reflect often, um, it shaped the way that I try and instill a lot of values into players. How, how actually, you know, let's start with your playing career. T- tell us a little bit about your playing career and maybe give us an overview of how you got to this point at Manly. Oh, it's a, it's a long story. So I'll, <laughs> I'll keep it, I'll keep it as succinct as I can. Uh, rugby was a hobby for me. Um, initially. Now, I know I got uh, lucky and I was quite successful in that I, I got an opportunity to attempt to make it into Munster Rugby. Um, I'll talk about that in a second, but I was always a, a swimmer first. Um, and so my background was pool swimming initially um, as a young kid growing up and then, you know, not blessed with too much height and stopping growing. Well, I don't think I've ever had my growth spurt, but um, just watching everyone get further away, ended up turning towards ocean swimming and Ironman and surf life savings. So that was my passion. That was everything that I went uh, was putting everything into at the time. And rugby was always something I played. It was fun. You know, like it's um, it's funny how it works and seeing my own kids grow up at the moment. I'm seeing them do very, very similar things with their sports and the thing that they actually love is now the thing that they're, they're going more towards, even though their talents laid somewhere else. 
Um, but yeah, I was definitely a swimmer, uh, a couple of national medals um, as a as a young kid from a 16 to 18 year old in around the surf life saving. But then I went actually into the coaching of that. So my first coaching experiences was actually in the pool. So I, um, I was even coaching at the age of 17 and coaching young kids coming through the learn to swim aspect and even kids even the same age as me. I was coaching the next squad down, if that makes how, sense. How, old, but, how uh, old were you How old were you at the time? 17, 18. I was just out of school. Uh, in fact, I actually think I was coaching in my last year of school. So I was doing the, the swimming side of things, but still playing footy. Um, I was a Ramwick junior. Um, so I was playing... Um, all my younger footy before going to Waverley College, I was a Chloe, I was a Chloe Eagle, uh, Chloe Valley Eagle, and then went into uh, obviously the Ramwick, the Ramwick Junior Rugby side of things, as well as playing for Waverley College. Um, and in my last year at Waverley College, actually decided not to play rugby at all um, to concentrate on the surf life saving while I was having a crack at the Uncle Toby Super Series back in the day. Yeah, um, if you remember that, that. Yeah, yeah. So um, trolled up at Malulabar for that, and then. Came out of came out of that. Unfortunately, uh, missed out by two on that one, and then decided to change and have a fresh change of school to actually not play rugby. But um, ended up captaining the first fifteen at Scots that year. So it was still a hobby, and it was still you know going quite well, and I was enjoying it. Um, and as surf started to subside, and then went into university, I um, left Randwick and actually played my first year of Colts at Sydney University. Right. And okay. Then, uh, yeah. So I then had a relationship with both clubs. Um, I was kind of jumping between the two, like every young kid seems to be these days and just so hungry for opportunity. So I really started chasing the rugby side of things um, until I actually traveled Africa and said, that's enough. That's enough footy for me. Um, and I went and traveled Africa on my own for six months or, you know, for that four to six month period and came back and said, no, you know what, I'll just go back and play for fun. And that's when the uh, success, I guess, started happening. And I got picked up in the Australian universities, travelled overseas, travelled through America, came back um, and then got picked up to go and play. Um, sorry, when I was on that university's tour, I went for a three-week holiday and we played England, uh, England, Wales, Oxford and Cambridge. And then went over to see my mate over in Ireland, Benny Martin, who I was playing with back in Sydney at uh, Sydney Uni for one stage. And it's funny who you meet and who's watching you at any given point and got picked up from the Oxford game. Um, by one of the local clubs there. And that's where Declan Kidney and Alan Gaffney at the time, it was that crossover period where they got a hand or got the video from that game. And that's where I got my opportunity with Munster Rugby. So it was a really incredible, incredible journey and how things, you know, happen. And obviously Paul O'Connor was playing in the team at the time. And when I came back and before I got the phone call from Declan, I was actually living in with, with his brother unknowingly, you know, like, so I was living so with you didn't Paul. You didn't know it was Paul O'Connell's brother. You, you didn't well, know I hadn't met Paul yet, right? No, nah. no. Nah. So I just went over to see my mate and um, came back. And then when I came back, got the phone call from Declan and I rang uh, Marcus, came home and I said, mate, have you heard of Monster Rugby? And he goes, I'll pack your bags. And that changed my life forever. A three-week holiday turned into 10 years later. There's Two a bunch kids of, and a family. Bunch of things to unpack there. Oh, I want to go back to the African trip. <laughs> African, yeah, what, was the, what was the... What was the motivation to to go to Africa? How did you how did you do that? How did that? Because that six months is a long period of time to travel anywhere. I could imagine that that was a very formative trip for you. Yeah, it's um, yeah. There's a lot of things to dive into here, isn't there? Um, so at that time, uh, I just decided to take a break. Uh, a lot of things going on, and 
went over to England first, which is where my family, that's how I got to stay in Ireland for so long, which is where my family was. So I spent uh, Christmas with my grandparents and my cousins. Um, then we jumped on a plane and I went to Cape Town. That was really the only thing that was booked. Um, and when I got into Cape Town, um, I, so I met up with a couple of my surf life saving friends and stayed with them at the Holiday Inn. And then I flew to Kenya, mate, and I uh, worked my way the whole way down uh, the East Coast all the way back until uh, until I got down to, to Joburg and did different trucks and jumping from truck to truck around uh, around that East Coast and the whole way down the East Coast. I'd love to do that one day. I could only imagine oh, that that was a great experience. Unbelievable. Mate, Unbelievable. The, the other part of what you said previously is, is that it's funny. There's a couple of things. It's one, you never know who's watching you. So I think that's a really good message for any player who's who's going around. Could be a meaningless trial game that you do not want to be there. There could be someone watching you. So put your best foot forward at all times. The other thing that I find very interesting is it's funny when you stop caring so much and things become fun that success starts to happen. And I found that to be a common theme in my life. As soon as I stop caring, I tend to get what I want. Has that been a similar experience for you? Well, it was an experience and then going through that masters learned a lot more about it and in terms of building resilience you know and still and having you know the cliche is you know putting all your eggs into the one basket and having uh having a crack at the one thing that you want to do and you know like when little things start to go wrong in those you know very small areas start to have a bigger impact whereas you know if you're concentrating and everyone says you know the plan b and that's kind of where the science and the mental science comes in behind that is um, plan B doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, um, something that you're concentrating on, but it just takes that attention purely away that, you know, if something is to go wrong, that you do have something to back you up and there is something else there. And it's not necessarily that you don't care. Um, however, the attention is divided um, so that you become more resilient. So the smaller things don't matter as much. Is that, so there's science, there's science to back that up. So there's, uh, absolutely like can can i just unpack that a little bit so just say you're pursuing coaching but you also have maybe a small business interest just as a backup in, in case the coaching doesn't work having that other interest scientifically does that help you uh, build resilience so that you can be successful because in your head whether it's conscious or subconscious you have that other thing there to go to if you need to I'll digress for a second just to, to help unpack that one as well is what we actually studied and what I actually wrote about was um, the benefits of a high athletic identity. And I studied a lot of American collegiate athletes that had such a strong athletic identity and then how they actually saw themselves in the future. So it's called future saliency. So the, the athletes that had more of a saliency, saliency, I should say, around not only being just the athlete, but also being a successful another. So whether it be business person, whether it be X, Y, and Z. So whether Study, it was a whatever. dream, but at least, yeah, but whatever it was with the, the whole idea around there is going to be something else, even if they were only doing a fraction of it, right? Even if they're only doing a fraction of it, they ended up becoming the more successful athlete than the athlete who saw themselves running in the Olympic Games or the athlete who was, you know, for example, playing in that first team basketball or whatever it may be. So we started implementing different strategic plans at Munster Rugby with the academy-based athletes. Um, but, yeah, it was, it, it was an exciting time, and it's um, it certainly shaped the way, you know, like uh, the way that I think about a lot of things. And even working with guys like Blakey last year and 
some of the messages I got from him in terms of life more so than just the coaching and what you should be not necessarily focusing on, but, you know, just settling down and taking the time to smell the roses on where you are and not being too focused on how much you have to put in at any given point. So to come back to your original question, even if it's not a full-time business, but it's an idea and you're understanding your strengths, the transition will become a lot smoother. And, you know, like when any athlete goes from being an athlete to into the transitioning world, into whatever it may be, that tends to be the hardest part, you know, because you're almost starting again. You're going to get into the highest point in a career and then bang, that stops. What next? And that's a big fear for people. So if you're putting all your eggs into the one basket, it becomes, it makes you a less resilient character. And that's the science behind that. That is very, very interesting. And I think very, very useful for people to know. How, how did you get into rugby coaching? Obviously, you're a swimming coach. You had this career at Monster. We'll, we will unpack that. But how did you transition from being a professional player into coaching? Um, so like I said, you know, like I was, I was still playing. It was more when I, you know, finished my Monster contract because I – Unfortunately, I didn't make it, you know, like as uh, as a full-time player and they had some fantastic halfbacks coming through. Um, at the time, obviously, um, Peter Stringer and Tomasa Leary were the halfbacks for Munster. So they were well covered in that um, in that position, even across, obviously, they both played for Ireland in that position as well. And obviously, as you see now, Connor Murray, he was a 19-year-old academy time, so he was coming through and they also had some homegrown. So when Dougie Howlett came in and uh, Chris Deleuze was the academy halfback for, for Munster and they had Doug Howlett ready to go as a, as a foreign player and there was a couple of others in, in that same boat, they, um, you know, that didn't quite work out. So I ended up captaining my club team back, um, back in Ireland and that kind of led to leadership roles and it actually, before long, I transitioned straight into coaching and Ian Costello, I don't know if you know much about him. He, um, he's he been coaching. He's back at Munster now, but was also the defence coach over at Wasps um, for a little while. Um, so he's had a pretty successful coaching journey since then as well. But um, it was actually himself. He, he asked me, he said, I want you to come on board, but I want you to take a year away from the club. So that I actually disconnected from the players just a little bit. So I went and played for another club and then went back and coached. And my coaching journey really started at um, a club called UL Bohemians. So it's a University of Limerick. So it was a university-based team in Division 1A, uh, 1B, sorry, at the time in Ireland. I, I just quietly, incredible advice, disconnecting for a year from your club to go back and coach. I wish I'd been given that advice. Well, how, what I want to unpack, uh, obviously we've just been going through the same coaching courses and one of the things that they keep going on about is coaching philosophies. How... How important do you think that is? And do you have you actually sat down and formalized what your coaching philosophy is? Is it rock solid? Does it change? Does it depend on what area of the game you're coaching? Like, what's your yeah, take? Yeah, so, so I, it was actually, you know, the level three course that I did. Um, uh, what was it? It could have even been two seasons ago. So they actually asked those questions. Um, and I actually hadn't thought about it. You know, I hadn't said, like, what's your philosophy? I knew what I wanted to do and, I, you know, I knew tactically and technically, like we, you know, talked about earlier, I knew exactly how I wanted to get what I wanted to do, but it was never formalised, like you just said. Does it change now that I've done it and has it changed since when I actually formalised it? Yes is the answer. Um, if anything, it's become more concise. Just having a couple of a couple of words just to make sure that I keep coming back to and 
whether it's the tactical part of the game, whether it's the environment, you know, the environmental control, whether it's, you know, we're talking to boards, this, that and the other, having a philosophy around how you try and manage different stages and then that last part where you're adapting from week to week as you need to and even from minute to minute as a coach and what changes you might have to make, there needs to be, you know, some form of direction. You need to have a clear vision, clear direction that you're that you're looking to go. But has it changed? Absolutely. The, the off-field part of being a head coach, I could imagine, would be very interesting and something that probably is completely up your alley. Com- community, building people, uh, creating this culture or, or cultivating a, a culture that's already there, leadership groups. How have you attacked that part of being a head coach? I just need to understand where I am first. You know, you, you you can't jam change down people's throats, you know, like as a leader, just because you have a way doesn't mean that everyone's going to agree with it um, to start with. Um, so having an understanding of where I am first, having an understanding of the beaches, the culture, the boys, you know, everything that's been there for a hundred or so years before I even arrived, you know, like, um, so how I have, have you, kind of- a- Have you gone about understanding it? Obviously you had a year there last year. Um, there's some sensational people in that coaching group. Have you have you attacked actually learning the northern beaches, the manly area? Mate, just coffee time, coffees, beers, chats, everything, just to get to know. I'm a, like I'd like to think I'm a pretty social. I was always very, very sociable. A little bit more introverted now that I've uh, grown up a little bit. I don't necessarily like the old uh, pub scene as much as I used to after the after matches. But um, even players who have left. Uh, this year, gone to overseas like a Maxi Douglas, you know, sat down, had great conversation, you know, where we could have probably gone for hours, you know, talking about, you know, everything that he did from a junior all the way through. And we kind of, I won't call it an exit survey because, you know, like hopefully we'd love to see him again one day or, or not see him. And hopefully he's wearing, you know, different colours and coming back into this country. But um, yeah, mate, it's just everything's come through conversation. Um, we've got a couple of little ideas that, are about to happen even this weekend where, you know, any new player that's coming into the club, they've got to know what they're coming into. You know, there's, there's been a history at Manly and they've had, they've been a very, very successful club and to have an understa- understanding of what they were doing when they were successful. And there's been tough times for every club and it's been a couple of tough years previously um, for Manly, but it's having an understanding of why they went that way and why we're coming back and, just knowing where I am is a big part of it and actually going into the, not necessarily the archives, but speaking to the board and having an understanding of what the club's purpose actually is, knowing what the purpose is, where they want to go in the next 10 years and making sure that everyone's brought on that journey. Have you found moulding yourself to the club but staying you? Because I feel I've seen, and I'm sure you've seen it as well, guys will change themselves in a coaching environment at a new club. But I, I really think it's very important to continue to be yourself. And I've yet to hear anyone who's been successful that doesn't give that advice. How have you found that part of it? I think deep-rooted, mate. And, you know, going back to my history of being a surf lifesaver and being and growing up on a beach, you know, and then, you know, you go, go to Manly Beach and I'd feel comfortable walking out onto, you know, Curl Park or Manly Oval barefoot and no one would think twice about it. You know, you could go to other clubs and be like, what are we doing here? And it's, you know, like I don't necessarily always do that, but I do feel like I fit. I do feel like I fit. Um, I'm comfortable there. Um, I, I really enjoy, you know, everyone that I'm working with. There are great people there. And 
I'm a people person, so I just I, I feel it works. I haven't had to change who I am uh, too much. The hardest thing that I am going to have to do, obviously, is have these conversations. Last year, I was mum. Now I'm dad. Um, so there's going to be some hard conversations to come. But I, you know, I'm pretty adamant that I've, I'll always be honest, and I've always been honest. So I'm I'm pretty comfortable that if everything's open and transparent, that not everyone's going to agree. You are going to upset a few people here and there, but um, as long as everyone's still on board and we, we're all going for that common purpose and, you know, stay true to our, our identity, I think, you know, it's going to be a fun year for the whole club, not just necessarily one team. I think it's going to be a fun year for the whole Shoot Shield again, in general, just everything I'm hearing around the traps. There's people swinging for the fences and I think it's going to be a tight one again. What I, what I want to talk about just briefly, and it's, it's something that I, I really like bringing up every episode because I think it's it's important for people to reflect on it and to know about this side of things. But what's your relationship with failure? I My relationship with fear and failure has completely changed in the last two years, partly from doing this podcast, partly from coaching. H- how do you view how do you view that? What's your, what's your relationship like with, with making mistakes, with failing? She's would be good to have my wife next to me here now. And she'd <laughs> tell you that she'd tell you the truth. So if I gave you her answer, mate, I'm terrible. And like, and it depends what you determine as, as failure, you know, like what is a failure? Um, I was having a chat earlier, you know, it's like gone to the days where, you know, you could ring someone up or they're so excited to have you that you get yourself a 10 year contract, you know, and, they can start seeing progressive change and growth over those periods. Unfortunately, we're in a win-loss, you know, we're in a win-loss industry and you can be the best guy off the field and feel like you're doing the greatest thing for all people. But at the end of the day, when your community turns up and they want to be inspired and watch a game of footy and they want to see your team win, it it makes it, you know, they'll, they'll start asking questions, you know, come round one, round two, round three, if, you know, you don't get yourself off to a good start. So there's going to come pressure with that. So, yeah, it's, it's a it's it's a funny one. I I'm highly competitive and have been since the age of two. You know, it, it really doesn't matter. So I think you know I've, I've come to come to terms with you know obviously there has to be a winner and there has to be a loser. I'll probably dive into a lot more detail and reflect a little bit more on the on the losses, you know, and take a breath and sigh of relief on the wins. Um, but again, yeah, coming back to that original statement, depending on what you see as a failure, you know, I'm, I'm pretty confident in my approach and I'm pretty confident in what I'm doing at the moment that we're growing as people, we're growing as a club, we're growing as a team. Um, so, yeah, man, I'm excited, like you said, for the shoot shield. Um, how have I changed with failure? I'm still very highly competitive, mate, and I just hate losing. So, I think yeah. you wouldn't do coaching if you liked losing. I think it's... Agreed. It's too hard, but like, like I made a mistake last night. We had a unit session, and I thought we'll split the units and do breakdown in the middle, and then go and go and finish with lineouts or malls or whatever it was. And that was a mistake. I should have just done the twenty-five minutes straight through, or twenty minutes, or whatever it was. So it's even little things like that, trying things at training that you go, "Well, this might be a good idea." Oh, it didn't quite work, and then reflecting on it and using it as a learning experience. Like I'm, I, I am very hard on myself and it's something that I'm not, uh, I don't like that, but once I've thought it through, I tend to learn from those mistakes and and that, that's kind of what I mean. Like wins and losses will happen. Every single coach will get fired eventually, 
but it's how to deal with those little mistakes along the way that help set you up. A little, um, a little line that uh, one of my old bosses, actually, when I first arrived into this country um, that he used is, I want you to keep trying and I want you to fail forward. You know, like, so it was, it's that whole idea of, you know, just keep trying what's working, what's working, what's working. Now, obviously, when you're in the strength and conditioning realms, which this actually was, um, failures can cost teams. Um, they can cost teams, their players, their marquee players. So, you know, you can be safe the whole time and still not get them the whole way. But I know exactly what you're saying. And yes, look, I mean, as a coach, I'm highly reflective, highly, highly reflective. Like I'll come back straight away after the session and, Again, you know, you're coming home. And I, like I said, I was at 90-10 at the start. I'm still coming home. I'm eating dinner and I've got the phone in front and I'm watching the the drone footage, you know, on a couple of things that I saw and it's, I should be disengaged. It is 10 o'clock at night, but I just I just find, you know, like if I can have a look and just see one or two different things, then I'm pretty reflective, I'm reflective like we just said on that. And then, you know, I will make those adaptations. Have you got any ways of switching your brain off? Because I need I need something. Because <laughs> I'm the same as you, mate. I was I, we did a we had time so up in Newey Monday Tuesdays Monday night. I stay up there, and I was just one o'clock in the morning thinking about this and that, and it was just part of it. <laughs> I think it's a part of it, but there's you know you you do have to have your methods, and my my switch off, mate, is just anything other than rugby. You know, I've got to laugh. You've just got to laugh. Humor, it's humor for me. And even if it's, you know, looking for something on Netflix like a Carl Barron, just anything, just anything to get a little bit of a laugh, change the endorphins, get to a different part of the brain and long, you know, not not, not long after I'm falling asleep. You know, um, food tends to do it to me as well. Food comas. <laughs> so food comas. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good like that. I'm good to keep going back to the fridge until I fall asleep. But um, <laughs> yeah, anything, anything other than anything other than like just knowing and thinking about, you know, all the little conversations that you had that will keep me up. Yeah. I th- yeah. I think unfortunately it's a part of it and I've probably, I'm sure other people struggle with it as well. And I'm sure it's just a matter of finding out what works for you. What it about, is, you know, it comes back to, sorry, man, sorry to cut you, but it's that, you know, like that whole idea of, you know, again, not necessarily knowing where you are in a context of an environment, but just coming back to that mindfulness, Johnny Wilkinson, I don't know if any of you listen to any of his stuff, you know, he knows high performance, you know, he calls it, you know, all of me all of the time, you know, so that switch off period is just as much a part of, you know, the all of you and just getting you know, that grounding effect, just taking a breath, noticing where you are, that you're not on a rugby pitch, you know, like, so I do, I do come up with a couple of little, little techniques just to unwind as well, to know that I'm at home, to know survivors on the TV and I'm watching that with my daughter, you know, to make sure that King George doesn't go out, all the, all the fun things, but it's just, you know, it's making sure again, you know, where you are. And when you're at home, you just got to be at home. What about mentors? We, we're in the same mentor group for the, the coaching stuff we've been doing. How, how important have mentors been in your progression as a human, as a rugby coach, as a, you know, husband? Um, do you have any mentors? Like what's your take on, on people having mentors and their importance? <sighs> Yeah, look, I've had a lot of people. I've had a lot of people in my life. And, you know, there's when I was looking to set up a business and, and I'm really lucky and I've been working with someone really closely um, for the last five years. And I was lucky enough to meet them when I started working with the Country Eagles and they came on as a managerial role um, from a different club. So I throw a lot of ideas 
a lot of ideas um, to this guy. And it's, yes, he understands the rugby side of things, but he also understands the people um, side of things. Like I still, to be fair, ring anyone I've ever worked with. So even if it wasn't a phone call, I was still in contact with uh, Rob Taylor not so um, not so long ago. I was also speaking with Blakey the other morning, just, you know, how you're going, how you're getting on. I like to stay in contact um, with guys that I've worked with, even um, Ben Martin, who's now, you know, he's won coach of the year three years in a row over in Ireland for the Irish women's um, program over there. He's still one of my best mates and we touch base on rugby as well as obviously life. So I'm big on people. I'm big on having conversations. Would I call it mentorship? No. Again, I would, you know, you're kind of throwing ideas and having conversations like this. I would see this as, you know, something I'd love to do again, even offline and, Definitely. Just keep having conversations around around rugby, around other things, around the psychology aspect. As long as you're reaching out now, to be fair, I have reached out to someone, um, to someone more so from the the tactical and technical. Um, but the guys that I'm talking to are currently professional rugby coaches anyway. So, you know, Phil Blake's got so much experience. He's coach, you know, the Tigers at Was. He's been a Wallabies coach. He's worked with Robbie Deans. He's got a million and one stories, you know, and he's played professional rugby league for God knows how long for eight different clubs. So, I mean, the experience in that guy alone um, was, you know, was incredible to draw upon, you know, just from life experience itself. So I do believe in people. I do believe in people in the right areas. And again, you know, switching off, if I was to read a book or listen to anything, you know, I'd, I'd like that motivational piece. Like I said, I'm competitive. So people like David Goggins, I relate to. Uh, very much you know and then like I said I like to laugh as well so you've got to stay in contact with your mate so that when you're going out to the pub it doesn't have to be about what you're doing you're not talking about what you need to be getting done all the time yeah I, I agree totally I think having that community of people who understand what you're going through and I think there is that in the shoot shield in general but in the coaching world I'm doing this and coaching. I've been very lucky to speak to some amazing people who who help who help out. No questions asked. And the last thing you said there about having a friend group who don't really give a shit how you know the wildfires went on the weekend, but just want to have a beer and do something stupid together. I think that's equally as important. And the, the other thing, I think it might have been Zach that said it, is that you can have informal mentors. You can uh, listen to podcasts on Alex Ferguson or read audio books on guys who have been successful. And that's another way of, of, of really having a mentor, even if they don't know it. Oh, agreed. Agreed. You know, like the, I, and I would say 90% of that mentorship would be informal for me. And it is through conversations, you know, um, and there have been times where I you just know the right person and look to be perfectly honest I think my uh, my dad probably cops um, a lot of it as well. You know, he's quite big in terms of the, you know, his, his business world and he's been quite successful in terms of sales and does what he does. And he's an avid supporter of everything that I've ever done. And obviously your parents and my mum, you know, would have been in the same boat, but she's great. She's like I was last year. She gives me the hug and, you know, tells me everything's going to be all right. And the other fella drives and pushes a little bit harder and sometimes hits you straight between the eyes with what you need to do. So family is obviously very important. My wife, you know, would love to talk about anything other than football, which is great, you know. So every now and then I'll get the, how was it? And then we're off. That was it. I'll get the one question whether we listen and then to be honest, kids don't care, you know, like, so, I mean, they want to see you succeed and they want to see you happy, but at the end of the day, they want to come home and they want to have dinner and they want to tell their stories too. So there's so much in terms of that informal mentorship that I believe in. 
Um, however, you know, there are times that I, you know, have needed particular skills. So I reach out to people in that area. And a big one for me was, you know, just recently about to go into an interview for the Marlins gig. And I went to somebody and I practiced and they're quite good in terms of that, that area. And they helped out enormously. Yeah, I couldn't agree more there, mate. The the funny thing, I, my missus will tell me when I'm being an idiot, and she's usually right, and it's very, very helpful. She goes, "What what the fuck are you talking about? Stop being stupid." Some something that I've I've been in the shoot shit a long time now. I think this is year seventeen for me, and it's quickly morphed from being a, a sort of social two night a week a week thing into something quite serious. Every game is live streamed. That's super competitive. It's never been more competitive than it is now, and I think I think there's got to be a balance between. Sorry, let me rephrase that. There are guys who are aspirational professionals, and there are guys who just want yeah. to be a part of a good community and social environment. As a leader of a club, how do you balance the the need to be professional, but also to keep it fun? Oh, mate, look, I, I think if I even got the job as the, the Wallabies coach, I think they still want to have fun. You're right. There's different elements of fun. Um, and, you know, it's the chicken and the egg, you know, like is it the results that's fun or is it you're having fun to get the results, you know, like what one comes first. Um, however, you know, like whether you're a high-performing team or you're a high-performing club, and I use the word high performance, there's been studies done on this. Um, it's that sense of belonging, you know, Um Players are going to want to turn up. At the end of the day, Shoot Shield is a development area. Um, we're not professionals yet. Some are. Some will come back who are, you know, within the Waratahs set up or the Brumby set up and so forth. But we're still a development area and it's still a club, right? So I don't feel – I think sometimes we can sometimes lose that whole idea of why people are showing up in the first place. And that element of enjoyment is – has got to be number one on the list. They've got to turn up and they've got to want to enjoy the stuff that you're leading them and the way that they're actually learning. Learning needs to be fun. I think if you get that balance right and your players are turning up willingly, and that's whether it's fourth grade or first grade, whether you're aspirational to go one team higher or turn yourself into a professional rugby player, I think your values and your discipline might be a little bit different and the way that you approach a week might be different. However, I think uh, the key ingredient is if they're not enjoying it, mate, they're not going to show up regardless of what level you play at, you know, and they're certainly not going to perform. So I, I do believe the sessions need to be engaging. They need to be fun. And, you know, we're, we're working hard on that as a, as a whole staff, and that's from first grade to fourth grade coaching staff and managers. Um, so that idea of, you know, getting the right leadership group and, and working in and around what we're doing on and off the field is we're coming back to that essence of club and what that actually means. How do you reflect on last year? Crazy year. Crazy I've never, year. Absolutely crazy. It's, it's funny. I was talking to Zach, he didn't enjoy it. And I, I think when you're in the thick of it, you go, oh, this sucks because there's no easy games. But it, it really was an exciting year for, for Shoot Shield and Sydney Rugby. How do you look back on it? What are some key takeaways that you – took from last year that you might transfer into this year if you're happy to share any of it of course i I know we're doing this podcast three weeks out before playing each other but uh in round one but i um uh, look mate as i said we're reflective right so i could show you six pages of notes you know when i sat down and and had a real crack on every single area from you know, like initially I, I did the first reflection based on, you know, going into the same role before Blakey was um, 
fortunate enough to get the call up to, you know, go to the Queensland Reds. Um, so from a tactical point of view, obviously reflected on, you know, what, what could have changed, what could we have done better, how could we have implemented um, higher learning and how could we have gone into the final series feeling a little bit fresher. Um, it was a crazy year. Like you talk about it, you know, like our biggest, big, we had, you know, you take out the outliers, um, which was one win where we had a decent win um, early on in the season, but every other game was won by less than eight um, or lost by less than six. So it was tight. The whole year was within the realms. And I, I remember sitting on the hill and just talking and it was like, you go 20 points up in some games. Um, and we're thinking, here we go again, we're going to have a good day. And then wasn't long after that it was, you know, back down to three points in front and you're pulling your hair out because you made, you know, a lot of substitution. Some of those games, you know, were, were incredible to be a part of because you fall the right side. And again, you know, you take that breath and sigh of relief that you get through one. But look, I, I do believe, I do believe that I've taken more on the, I won't say necessarily the psychology because we haven't started using that. Um, however, the approach of creating opportunity um, is something that I'm going to be looking at very much this year and making sure that we're willingly turning up in round 16, 17 and 18, you know, hopefully, hopefully and fingers crossed, I know every coach is optimistic at this point, but buzzing, you know, coming into, into finals, into finals time, but, there's obviously some very important steps that we've got to do to get to that position, but yeah, a lot of a lot of the um, the off field and the psychology side of things I've been working on behind, and you know we're not necessarily going to sign off on this weekend, but we're going to start a, a big process around what our theming and our identity is going to be for the year year ahead, and that's going to be coming up this week. What about the technical and tactical? What what do you think are the key elements that you need to win? or that any team needs to win a rugby game? Win a game or win a comp? Win a comp. Win a comp. Um, I don't think I'd be telling anyone here or any rugby coach anything that they didn't already know here, but defence wins. Defence wins. You've got to tidy that up. You've got to tidy that up. And, you know, 11 out of the last 12 years, I believe, is the stat now that the team has won the best defensive record, regardless of minor premiership or not, has gone on to win Shoot Shield. So you've got to defend. I love it. You got, I think I think it's a quite a it's, a it's a simple game sometimes, you know, score more points than the other person. But at the end of the day, if you practice week in, week out, keeping teams nice and low when you get towards the, um, the pointy end of the season, you know, and your defensive system is quite sound and teams know that, they're not going to be scoring many tries against you, then, um, you know, that er element of confidence and whatever it may be, I think. But, yeah, I think you've got to make defence wins. Do you do much personal development? Uh, I mean... Whether it's audio books, yeah. podcasts, talking to people. And do you, do you have, like, a formal thing where you go, I want to learn about scrums, you know... Tactical period. Other, other than I, I actually feel like the best way that I do that is, you know, what we've just done, you know, and put ourselves into, you know, something like a, a higher course. Um, and I have done that since, you know, like the masters, like I said, that was a, a turning point in many things and many facets. I do, I do feel like turning up to something and being accountable to someone and, you know, having to submit and, you know, the, the whole uh, idea of getting something back is would, you know, my idea of development because you're actually getting genuine feedback um, as opposed to, to going and reading too many ideas. I'll take bits and pieces and, you know, listen to a couple of audio books. But um, look, it's, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable. I, I like, I, I, comfortable is probably a bad word. 
Um, but I'm pretty happy with what I'm currently doing and trying to stay pretty authentic to myself um, and taking bits and pieces from what other people are doing, I think might change the way that, you know, I either deliver or approach something where if I try and deliver like somebody else, that could go drastically wrong. Yeah. So, yeah. Like so I, having a bit I of authenticity, authenticity. Correct. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big believer in that and I, I do want to stay true to myself. However, I go to those places to challenge my ideas um, yeah. and ch- go into those courses and challenge the ideas and, and listen and then just start conversations like this. Is there anything that you used to be sure about that you've changed your mind on? Absolutely. You know, I, I, I think, you know, like first couple of years, first couple of years as a rugby coach, you're probably, you're in there and it's your ideas, exactly what we talked about. It's like, this is the way we're going to play regardless of the playing group that you've got, you know, like you're coming in here and you might be, you know, like you've learned a one, three, three, one system and you're thinking that's what I'm going to do because I know it. And regardless of what the team is. So, and you'd be pretty strict in the way that you wanted to do it. Even if you're feeling like they're just not getting there, you kind of persist. Um, I, I've worked on my adaptability an awful lot and it's, it hasn't come easy, even in terms of the explicit to implicit and then trying to find the balance, you know, like, is it, player-led is it coach driven is it coach-led and player driven like what what are we trying to achieve and how I think each group is very very different depending on the leaders you know like if Bellamy you know Bellamy seems to be doing a great job in developing his leaders and coming through but I'm sure there was a time where he has you know the Billy Slaters and the Cameron Smiths and the Cooper Cronks and all of those guys like how much did he have to do in terms of pulling players into line other than going out and you know helping develop more players I think you know, comparing that to what he's got now. Yes, he's got Munster, but it's not quite the same leadership team. So yeah. I think he's probably going to be adapting. So I like hearing about, you know, all these things and, you know, our boss at the moment, our old Eddie Jones, I like listening to everything he does. I think he's a um, fantastic guy and he's a great guy to have back in our in our rugby community. Um, and I like his approach. I like his approach and everything. So, yeah, mate, it's a, it's a funny one, but that authenticity again, you know, like – Coming back to it, the mentors, yes, I speak to people, but at the end of the day, it's more to challenge a lot of what I'm doing. I want, I want to go back to the the uh, comment on theming. Is Why is theming important? It's become, uh, I don't know, buzzword is not the right word for it, but a lot of teams are starting to do theming. Scott Robinson with the Crusaders spends a huge amount of time doing theming, and I was talking to someone about it. He had a theme for the year, which was the Rumble in the Jungle, and then every week they would have a theme that related to the rumble in the jungle. And then the that year they won the final was actually in Africa and it all tied in beautifully. And like um, I was speaking to Mike Alatoa about it and he said the players really felt a sense of that it brought them together and that there was a common goal and all that sort of stuff. Why is theming important to you? Why is it important as a coach? Is it something that everyone should be doing, do you think? No, again, I think you've got to stay true to what you believe in um, and what's going to get the best. Um, but for me, you just hit the nail on the head in the last thing that you said. It just brings everybody together. That sense of belonging that everyone's got a part of the rumble in the jungle um, and that, that they're playing their part towards that. If you have your players and your team and everyone feels that sense of value, you're going to get a lot more out of you know whatever group you whatever group you're coaching. And it doesn't have to be rumble in the jungle. It can be it could be anything. But as long as they buy in and they have an understanding of why you're doing what you're doing, um, then, yeah, it can become a quite a powerful piece. 
And will you reflect it's that on sense that? Of value. Will you reflect on that regularly throughout the year so that it's so that it's a common have thing? To, have to. Like I said, that's why I said sign off, and then I said be careful with that because you don't want to sign off and this is our theme for the year and then you don't really address it and people are like, well, this doesn't really make sense anymore and what are we doing this for? Um, absolutely. There's got to be a reason. Um, and, you know, you got that little saying as well, what gets measured gets managed, right? I'm pretty sure that he would have been looking, you know, these focus points would have had, you know, something to do with the game that they would have been playing and it would have been, you know, obviously, you know, tweaked and guided towards obviously what wins that game as opposed to the competition. What last long question, then I've got a few short questions for you, mate, and we'll get you out of here. Thank you so much for this. What do Manly need to do to win the shoot shield this year? Oh. <laughs> um, oh, mate, you got to win games. You got to win games, got to build confidence, and and you've got to, yeah, you, you've got to have an understanding. So I'm going to come back to my philosophy and I think most most coaches would say the same thing here, and it's 15 people thinking the same thing at any given point. And I think if we can do that, you can play with clarity and you know calmness. You'll you'll execute. Actually, you'll have a take on this. I was having an argument with someone about it the other day. Do you do you talk about winning? Do you talk about winning, or is it a matter of we have to? If you talk about winning that's fine, but you have to actually do the process that's required to win and that you should be focusing more on that rather than talking about winning. So another, another two influences of resilience are hope and optimism, right? So yes, I agree with you. Do we focus on winning? No. Do we talk about winning? Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? That that's the desire, you know, that's what success looks like. You know, it's like we, we all want to be hope, whether it's, you know, like the Colin Caird or whether it's a shoot shield, whatever it may be at the end of the year, you want to be putting that up. You know, you've got to have hope. You've got to imagine, you know, that 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 hope, you know, gets guys putting a smile on their face and turning up because that's what we're doing it for. You know, like there's there's a smile, there's that club feeling and you want to succeed together. So is there a genuine focus on winning? No. Um, is it talked about? Is it in the back of the mind? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Are, are we generally process focused on how we win games? Yes. Okay, so have, having that as something that you do talk about or reflect on, but this is how we actually get to that and we focus Absolutely. on doing doing our weekly, everything that's required to be successful on Saturday. So at the end of the year, the result takes care of itself. Correct. And it's also, you know, I base a lot of that on huddles, you know, and how they guide their huddles and we're working on that at the moment. I love that, mate. That's a great answer. Do you read much? Not as much as I'd like to or should do. Um but if I do, um, they tend to be educational books and I will have a pen and a highlighter. So I am reading The Inspirational Leader. Um, I'm starting to dive into the book Belonging. Um, it was actually right. Campbell Aiken um, who book. gave us that one. Fantastic yeah. book. So Campbell gave me that one um, when I was obviously speaking a fair bit in the level four and around all of that sort of stuff. So having an understanding of it. But then, um, yeah, so... Just started that. It is interesting. It is very, very interesting. Um, and then obviously, you know, with a new role in a new club, I should say. Um, obviously had this role before, but in different different countries. Um, but yeah, just reading that inspirational leader and just just little things where you can take those one or two percenters. I love it, mate. Do, do you listen to podcasts? Like I said, if I do jump on there, I'll um, I'll tend to listen to the getaways and the motivationals, and you know, listen to high performing athletes and guys like Dave Goggins. You know, yeah. so yeah, I'll um, I will listen to it. But um, again, you know, I love my music, and it's a it's a bit of a getaway if I 
want to obviously put the books down and not think about rugby, I'll make sure I get clear away from it. Love it, mate. What is a common mistake that you see from young coaches? Common mistake. Um, Probably going back to what we've already talked about is they read about what every good coach has ever done and they try and reenact it. You know, I think they've just got to have an understanding of who they are first. Um, Having an understanding of who you are is way more powerful than, you know, don't trying to do what an Eddie Jones or a Bellamy um, has done just because they're successful. You just got to be, again, coming back and try, try and be true to yourself and understand your coaching styles and understanding who you are before worrying about what everyone else is doing. I love it, mate. What makes a great coach? <clears throat> I think the people that can influence the most change. You know, um, I think a great coach, you know, um, I think is reflected and if it was measured would be some, you know, like players who have played for them coming back and, you know, and still having a relationship. I think that would be, you know, a sign of a, a great coach, you know, a good coach will win championships here and there and, you know, get results, but, you know, could potentially burn people along the way or, you know, go about it a different way. I think a great coach um, is someone that will still have relationships uh, long after they've stopped coaching those athletes. Love it, mate. Last question. If you could tell 18-year-old Chris Deleuze one thing, what would it be? Stay patient. Stay patient. Enjoy where you are. Enjoy where you are. Stop looking too far into the future. That is a fantastic way to end, my friend. Thank you so much for this. Mate, my pleasure. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you give us a five-star review. Please make sure you buy caffeine gum at www.caffeinegumaustralia.com. And please make sure you subscribe to this podcast so that when I drop the next one, which will be a lot sooner than the distance between the last two, I should say, um, be truly appreciated. Thank you all for your support and have a lovely week. Bye.